Welcome to Confessions of a Closet Romantic, your little shame-free romantic recess where we have fun gushing over the best TV shows, rom-coms, movies, and books on a different theme each episode. This is Poppy, and this episode is going to get saucy, sexy, sometimes naughty, because we're going on a journey with Cara Delevingne to Planet Sex. A women as horny as men. I am horny. <laughs> I don't know. I do think that women are less able and are less accepted to speak about how horny they are. I think female sexual desire has definitely been repressed. It's very interesting to be able to talk about all these things and the discovery of the orgasm, female orgasm. I've always wanted to learn about, but I'm sure many people also. This episode is obviously for mature audiences only, open-minded audiences, and I assume that's all my listeners, so here we go. The process of doing this podcast has taught me so much, and I love highlighting TV series, movies, or books that explore the wide range of romance, love, connection, and desire. And the documentary series Planet Sex with Cara Delevingne does all that and more. This six-part series is an open-hearted exploration of gender and sexual orientations, identities, and connections led by Cara's own personal curiosities. She visits experts, scientists, and ordinary people representing every color of the rainbow around the world. And it's fun, surprising, and surprisingly educational. Despite huge success in the fashion industry, and at the age of almost 30, Kara's still uncertain about her sexual and gender orientations. So the show is her very personal journey as she finds pockets of representation and explanations for how she has felt her whole life. Her visit to the Dinah, or the Dinah Shore, that annual weekend getaway and music festival catering to the lesbian community in Palm Springs, and the joy on her face when she attends was absolutely glorious. And this is my biggest takeaway from the whole series, a real duh moment for me. Kara interviews a scientist who points out that most sex ed, if you get any at all, is about procreation and PNV sex, or STI and pregnancy prevention. And most research explores male sexuality and reproductive sexual health. Women's sexual health and pleasure is an afterthought if it's considered at all. And this, of course, is ridiculous. For a long time, sex has been studied from a biological perspective. Yeah. And biologists study sex as reproduction. So we know a lot about the penis and, and so on, because, yeah, that's, that's important the one for that's giving the, the, the juice. Exactly. I mean, yeah. if we think about the female orgasm and the female sexual response, there's so much yet we don't know, because we constantly have this male gaze looking at sexuality. Totally. But it's also about 
focusing on your own sexual pleasure. And that's also something that is difficult for women, women. because yeah, we are socialized to prioritize the pleasure of the partner. Women, remember those words. Put your own pleasure first. Actually, I am something of an expert in that. One of my earliest memories is masturbating, but I didn't know it was anything sexual. It just was like, this feels good. Why would I not touch there to feel better about life? Like, it's just made sense. But I do think that there's just a lot more fear about talking about women touching themselves. But just because I think men kind of can go around and be like, yeah, I just came nine times today, bro. I can't even walk. You're like, sick. But I touch myself and they're like, oh, well, it's gross. No wonder we don't understand our own bodies or learn about our own pleasure until much later in life, if at all. In the first episode, Out and Proud, Kara explores why she grew up feeling ashamed of her sexuality and explores her own gender and sexual orientations and identities. I think I'm learning a lot from everyone I've met so far, for sure. Um, it's making me be a lot more open in my own personal life. In my mind, the most important thing about life is connections with other humans. And I just haven't even begun to have conversations like this with enough people. But we can just learn so much from each other. Sexuality! Yes. Then Kara thinks, hmm, what is this thing called the orgasm gap? And why are so many men having more fulfilling sex than women? So she looks at the science behind orgasms in Germany. She makes pussy art in Japan with an artist inspired by the vulva and attends an orgasm technique workshop designed specifically to empower women where all of the attendees masturbate in front of each other. They have blindfolds on. But whoo, she even goes to the most awesome sounding all women all pleasure, all night, skirt club. Always at least over 80% of our guests are first timers. So keep your eyes peeled for anyone who looks a little bit unsure. After everything I've learned, am I brave enough to shed the shame and put my sexual desires out there in public? I'm not gonna lie, I'm pretty nervous. So I've asked my friend Eleanor to join me. When we were even talking about it, she was like, yeah, I'd be so down for like watching women get off with each other, but I would be a bit more awkward. There was that one three-way with another girl and another guy, but that was really it. That was my one brush. It's my most straight yeah. friend. Financial advisor Genevieve set up Skirt Club in 2014 to host sex parties for women. It now has 18,000 members in cities all over the world. Nice to meet you, darling. How you doing? Hey, pleasure. How you doing? Nice to meet Genevieve. you. Genevieve, welcome to Skirt Club. Consent is a, is a huge thing. Right. But and remember, like you, a lot of women here for the first time. Mm. So they're nervous, OK? They may not have ever kissed a woman before. Some women here are straight, some gay, some bi, some pan. But most are just curious and horny. What's your name? I'm Bella. Not the first time Welcome. Hey, sexy sirens. Welcome to Skirt Club. Yeah. We believe in the power of the feminine here. 
So it's going to come as a safe space for you to explore all of your desires. And we're going to take good care of you. Here, your pleasure is paramount. And that gets the key to the gates of heaven. Welcome. Welcome. If you do feel uncomfortable, I'm the consent fairy, so come and find me. Please make sure to be safe. Have conscious communication with each other. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Every single person who's turned up is gorgeous in every single way, shape, or form. <laughs> We're all here for the same purpose, to enjoy each other. So good, people. This is just a little taste of what women can get up to when they've let go of shame, left their inhibitions behind, and feel free to explore their sexuality. I think I'm gonna like this. In the gender agenda, Kara explores drag with a friend who is a trans man in L.A., discovers a culture in Mexico that honors a third gender, and explores the danso of Japan. People assigned as women at birth who dress and act as men out in society, often working as escorts focusing on women's pleasure a group so used to pleasuring men first. It's one of the most fascinating segments in the whole series. Along the way, Kara considers her own gender fluidity and masculinity. Traditionally, it's males that perform as drag queens. But what makes Mick so unique is that he didn't start life as a boy. So I'm a trans man, which means I was assigned female at birth and then transitioned into a man and I definitely love playing with femininity and that's why I love drag so much because it just allows you to do that so I utilize it to kind of explore my boundaries I wake up as a guy I go to sleep as a guy and got Mick that female-ish persona is a 1000% just my art form when did you first like discover people can transition well I'm from Arizona where it's very like conservative when I was like 18 years old and I met like a bunch of trans women that like taught me what trans was and it just like clicked. I didn't transition for so long because I was very feminine and all the trans guys I ever saw were just very masculine. So I used drag as a way to kind of see what I was comfortable with and it kind of helped me find my gender and realize that I'm a thousand percent not a girl and I'm a thousand percent a guy. It's amazing. I started hormones and it was just like everything fell into place and I like, I was almost like my every issue I had was just like solved in one second. Born a female, now a man, with a glittery drag persona, Mick's proud of his complex identity and his journey has got me thinking about my own path. If someone had asked me as a kid, if I wanted to be a boy. Yeah. Um, I do wonder about this a lot. Like, if I hadn't have become famous, would it be different? If I wasn't a model, would it have been different? Yeah. I mean, it is scary. When I started transitioning, I was a celebrity makeup artist, and it was just scary because I was like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? Go to my celebrity clients and just like, hi, I'm a man today. And so I can't even imagine even like, playing with gender and trying to figure out shit like in front of the world like that. Like, I think gender is so stupid. 
masculinity and femininity doesn't define your gender and it doesn't define anything except for just like how you want to present yeah. to the world, you yeah. know? All right, so where do you think you're headed with this? I honestly don't know. The older I've gotten, the less I'm just trying to get approval from my family. I wonder if I said, guys, I want to transition into being a man, what they would do. And by the way, I would never say that to them. And this is the thing, it's nothing against them. They love me. It's just some people don't understand what that is. And it's like they look at you like they don't know you suddenly. Our bodies clearly don't always fit neatly into two categories. So is this the same for our minds? The University of Cambridge, where scientist Dr. Christelle Langley has been investigating if gender shows up in the brain. What we tried to do in our study was to look at whether we could identify uh, typically male or typically female brains. So, do brains from males and females look different? Well, no. One grey blob is much like another. But Christelle wanted to know if brain activity patterns could tell you which was which. Interesting. But why are we looking at a cake? So the brain is made up of a number of different areas and, and regions. So things like synapses, networks, cortices, they all function together, much like the ingredients of a cake. Dr. Christelle used AI to analyze 10,000 brains, half from biological males, half from females. Previous studies have identified different patterns of connectivity in each sex. The AI was tasked with identifying which of Christelle's brains were male and which female, based on those patterns. And the results were plotted onto a brain-sex continuum. You'd expect the brains to divide neatly into two sexes. But what Dr. Christelle discovered was that many of us don't have very gendered brains at all. I know from my own experiences, thinking about gender can really make your head spin. So let's back it up a bit and get to the bottom of what gender actually is and how it differs from sex. Let's talk about gender, baby. Gender. It can be controversial. So I've called in my fellow Brit and medical expert, Dr. Ronks, to give their perspective. I'm gonna do your cute cards. <laughs> I'm a bit nervous. Gender. Gender is essentially how somebody feels inside. It's an innate feeling. And it's not um, necessarily related to somebody's sex assigned at birth. Mm. I mean, should we talk about what sex is? Because I think people can... Sure. Um, uh, confuse sex and gender. Yes, exactly. Sex. Okay, sex, 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 sex. Medical term used to divide people into two binary categories based on their usually external sex organs, so male, female. <laughs> trans slash transgender. So society assumes that if you have a vagina, then you are going to feel that you are a woman. And if you have a penis, that you are going to feel that you are a man. So, trans people feel that their gender isn't aligned to the sex they were assigned to at birth. So, 
if we think about a female child, may not grow into a woman. They might identify as a man. Yeah, yeah, of course. But the thing that we need to be very, very clear about is that the trans experience is different for absolutely everybody. Not everybody wants to evolve into a binary gender. Also, not everybody will take hormones or have a change to their physical appearance or in society behave in a gendered way. Me! Non-binary! <laughs> My gender identity is non-binary, so I use the pronouns they, them, and I do not identify as a man or woman. I have a vagina, and therefore I'm socialised by my uh, family and by society into womanhood. But that doesn't mean that I have to walk around the world as, as a woman. So I also call myself trans. So what, what is your sex? Um, I mean, my sex is, I, was, I have a vagina. I personally, I've always grown up without like, feeling like I have a gender. Yeah. But it's more that I didn't belong in any of the gender stereotypes. For me, the whole feminine identity was so annoying because yeah. I was like, I am a person that likes yeah. to play outside, to build, to yeah. climb, to do crazy things. And in a exactly. dress that my mother used to try and put yeah. me in all the time and like with really long hair, I was like, I can't do any of those yeah. things. So it was really confusing. I think more people would be comfortable with the gender that's been assigned to them if, if we didn't have all of these societal pressures that come with it. Wow, it's so true. Some estimate that for around 98% of folk, their sex and their gender match up. But about 2% feel differently. In the West, we've now got a set of words for gender identities. But around the world, other cultures often see and name gender diversity differently. How fascinating is all of this? And wow, yes, maybe we would be okay with the gender assigned at birth if we didn't have all that cultural and societal layering on top. Oh, my mind is being blown in every episode. In Pornucopia, Kara visits with ethical feminist porn filmmaker Erica Lust in Barcelona, a porn capital of the world, and shares a 60s style free love sex fantasy that Erica turns into a film with all female writers and crew. If you're into porn, her films are really fantastic. Kara visits a gay porn archive in Germany that aims to respect and honor that industry, uncovers boy-on-boy -boy love comics designed for women in Japan, and most importantly, she discusses the sad fact that many of us already know, for many people around the world, porn substitutes for a proper sex education. Porn has definitely skewed all of our visions of what sex is, but especially for poor young boys that don't know and their parents won't tell them and their teachers won't speak to them about what sex is, that's all they know. I think the whole porn industry needs to just take a step up and go up a level because porn should be educational. And at the moment, it's just educating people in the exact opposite way. It's just now becoming something that is a dangerous thing that we can't stop kids from watching, and it's changing how the world looks at sex. In the next episode, Monogamish, Kara explores relationship styles and the foundation of romance. She has a brain scan in the U.S., 
takes a DNA test in London and speaks with an anthropologist to see if falling in love has a sociological, scientific, or genetic influence. Luckily, I know just the evolutionary anthropologist to help. So, yeah, I want to ask you what is biologically, socially, what am I meant to do? What am I meant to be monogamous? What can I do? Tell me, doctor. So the inputs into how we end up in terms of our relationship structures are two, okay? You have the biological input, which is your instincts, but then we have the really quite powerful cultural influence on how you behave in relationships yeah. and what structures you find. And that's really influenced by what society tells you is expected, you know, maybe the religion you follow, what your examples were as you were brought up. That can actually overpower that biological instinct. There's no right answer. The organization of relationships is a spectrum. We've got like monogamy here, right up to more complex things like polyamory. And really, given absolute free reign, as a human, you should be able to have the choice to sit on that spectrum where you feel comfortable. Unfortunately, obviously, in many societies, that freedom's not there. Mm. So what's your life experience? What's your relationship history? Um, I mean, it's... I've usually tend to have been in long-term relationships, quite close-ish to each other, and, um, you know, always been monogamous until, like, there's been, like, maybe, like, an arrangement made at some point, like, later in, but that's always been the end of it anyway. So we asked you for some of your spit, and we extracted the DNA from that, and what we're looking at is three particular genes that are associated with how you behave when you're in love. So no gene is deterministic, but it's a good pointer. How did you find this? Like, how do we correlate that between the actual genes and, like, what it shows with our relationship history? How does that...? OK, so what we did was we took a lot of spit from about 4,000 people, and we took their relationship histories, and we took lots of psychological measures about their attachment, about their sociosexual orientation, about their empathy, all these different sorts of things, and we looked as whether there was a relationship between certain genes and some of those traits. There certainly is a genetic influence on the way we love, on the way we feel, and in terms of how we behave when we're in a relationship. Love. You're so good at your job, man. It's amazing. Okay, I, I'm so, I just want to know. I can't, what else do I do? <laughs> so, Kara, your test results show that you do not have the nesting gene, so you are not overly motivated to be in a long-term pair bond that you sit midway on the empathy spectrum and that you do not have the gene that's going to increase the likelihood that you are single. Again, confusing, but I like it. So your propensity is more towards having a relationship than not having a relationship. None of these things is making me so sure about who I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is because love is complicated. Yeah, that's why I long to not be single, but I love being alone. Nesting. Get it? Kind of. It's a lot. It's confusing. It's way more complicated because how do I know when that... How do I know when I found my family? So forget right and wrong. The relationships that work for us as individuals are a stew of biology, social norms, and good old-fashioned lust. Society sold me the dream of monogamy, but polygamy multi-partner marriage dates way back to ancient times and is legal or tolerated in over 50 countries. Problem is, in most cases, it's one man, many wives. And I gotta say, it seems like it's not a good deal for women. But one woman is on a mission to shake all that up. Sweet.
smart Kara. I love her. In the final episode, Kara, who has made her lucrative living in the fashion industry and now the movie industry as a supermodel and actress, explores how beauty is defined and how that affects our ability to love and accept ourselves. So the faces you see most often influence your concept of what's hot? Dr. Carlotta, spell it out. Yeah, so familiarity is a big um, influencer in what it is that we find attractive. So the faces around us, the way that those faces look is what we end up finding attractive. And the way that the faces around us look is influenced by culture. Okay, so here's where I think we are. Beauty is a mix of ancient fertility signals and specific cultural preferences. These then spread through the media to become the template we all aspire to. No longer is beauty about basic bonkability. Now it's also about elite status, power, and some big benefits. And the stakes are high for the one who judged the world's most beautiful. Fame, riches, and possible motion picture fame are the prizes. Welcome to the concept of beauty bias, a.k.a. pretty privilege. Women on trial are 35% less likely to be convicted if they're beautiful. People judged attractive earn on average 10% more than their colleagues. And in the US and Europe, conventionally handsome politicians attract around 20% more votes. So it's no wonder that people take extreme measures in the pursuit of beauty. Cara Delevingne is pure joy in this series to me. She's charming, smart, funny, a bit shy, warm and kind, full of positivity for all the different orientations, identities, ideas, and people that she meets. She asks important questions, and you can tell that she grows in acceptance of herself and others after each encounter. I can't imagine a better inspiration for exploring my own pleasure And I hope you'll watch this documentary series and discover that too. If you enjoy this podcast, I hope you'll share this episode and tell a friend about it. For more information and show notes, visit confessionsofaclosetromantic.com. Whatever your orientation, however you identify, I am so super glad that you're here. Thanks for listening.